Very different morning this morning. You guys hanging together? Are we, are we here all together? All right. So without further ado, let's jump into the Word this morning. I'm going to try to give, I'm not going to make any promises, a little bit of an abbreviated word. We're going to make it a little shorter. Adam, Adam's going to share a few thoughts. <laughs> I'm going to be watching for this, although I'll probably ignore it if I see it. <laughs> hey guys, let's jump this morning into Mark chapter 6 together. Can, can we do that? Mark chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at a story of something that Jesus did, um, actually more than once, but this is one instance. And what's really cool about this particular story, it's known as the feeding of the 5,000, the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 30. And this story is one of the stories that actually is recorded in all four of the Gospels. So like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all recorded this story. They all have different stories in them, but you know there's something important that they all recognized this, is, this needs to be known, and it was this, when all four people recorded it in their book. And this is one of those instances. So Mark chapter 6, verse 30, and this goes to 44, so it might be a little bit of a lengthy reading. Oh, and some of it's cut off, but... Do, do what you can to hang with me. Something must have hit. Oh, there's a ball on top of there. A ball must have hit that thing off. <laughs> so here it's, here's what it says. The apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And then, because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But, verse 33, many who saw them leaving recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and they got there ahead of them. And so when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place. It's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, verse 37, you give them something to eat. Well, they said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? And Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Now, when they found out, they said, five loaves and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And then taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to the heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people and he also just divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Let's say a word of prayer together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your work, for doing these things. And thank you so much for the way that you take the little that we have to offer. And when we release it into your control, 
you multiply, you grow. Things expand in the kingdom of God. Teach us this morning, Father, to turn things that we have over to you so that there's room for it to expand and grow in our midst and in our lives. We love you today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this story is is very interesting because just to kind of pick up the context, what had happened was Jesus had sent his disciples away into all of the neighboring towns, and he told them to go and preach the gospel, and he gave them authority and power to perform miracles and do wondrous signs. And then he sent them away in twos. And so they had gone and done all this in these towns, and some time had transpired. And when it was coming near to a feast time, they all came back together, and this is where we pick up the story. They had all come back together, and they started to tell him all the things that they saw done when they were sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they're all coming from this long trip. They're tired. They're hungry. They want to catch up with one another. They hadn't seen one another for a while. And so they try to go away to this remote place. And so when they try to go away to this remote place in a boat, all of a sudden people see what's going on. They know who this is, and they don't want him to go away. They start following and end up in the place that they were heading to be alone before Jesus and his disciples even got there. So you can imagine they're in the boat, and as they're approaching the shore, all of a sudden they see thousands of people in this remote place where they were trying to go be alone, and there they were. They're exhausted. They want to eat themselves. And now all of a sudden they have thousands of people waiting to be served, to be entertained, to, to, to learn. But it says that Jesus saw them, and when he looked at them, he saw them with eyes of love, and he was moved to compassion because he, what he recognized in them is that they were people in need. The way the, he, it's worded is they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were wandering around with no guidance. They were looking for someone to give them some guidance. And so it says that Jesus sat with them and taught them. Now, as he began to teach them, it's starting to get late in the day, and the disciples recognize this, and so they take the initiative and they say, there's a need here. It's getting late in the day. We're running out of daylight. Jesus, send these people away so that they can go get something to eat. I think this is interesting because they saw a need and they tell Jesus, go send them so that they can go meet this need. A few years ago, well, a number of years ago, I was working at the, um, in Newport, the Pell Elementary School. Anybody know where that is? It's right down the side street by Ma's Donuts. Everybody knows Ma's Donuts. So I was working there, and I was working there only a year after it opened. The situation was, in Newport, there used to be five public elementary schools, and every one of them, the buildings were old, moldy, rotting away. So instead of trying to fix all of these schools, they built this monster school to shut down all the other ones and put all the kids in this one school. There were about a, a population of about 1,000 students at the time. So they built this school. Only there wasn't a whole lot of foresight when they built the school because before it was finished being built and before the first year even opened to the students, it was too small to serve all the kids in the city. So right out of the bat, it was too small for the, for, the, for the number of students. So what they actually ended up doing, on top of paying for this multi-million dollar state-of-the-art building, was now they ended up paying Middletown to rent one of their, their old decrepit buildings. 
so they could put some kindergartens and preschool in there. Problem number one. Not only that, it was poorly designed so that there wasn't even enough parking spaces for all the teachers and all the aides and all this. So now, every time you drive up there, there's all of this mess of parking. People are parking in the grass. It's all muddy. It's getting nasty. Now, add on top of that, the whole flow, the design of drop-off and pickup systems, and now it's borderline dangerous to to drop off kids and have kids walking on the walking paths. So this thing was just an absolute mess. From the very beginning, this is going back to 2012, 2013, it's a mess. And I was shocked to see yesterday in yesterday's paper on the front page of the Newport Daily, had a big picture and this big bold statement, they're still having issues. Oh, Butch, you're well familiar with, with all this. Bus drives the school for the drives the bus for the school. And they're still, years later, almost 10 years later, the same problems, the same circumstances are happening. Everyone sees the problem, everyone recognizes it, everybody voices the problem, but there's no solution. There's no fix for this thing. Everyone has something to say about it, of course, because you can see, when you see a need, when you see a problem, it's easy to pick up on the need. What's not so easy sometimes is to find the solution to the need. See, it's easy to kind of jump on things and, and criticize because like, it's right in front of your face. It's, it's apparent. But now, once we come to see that, what do we do with it? We like to voice our criticisms easily to either coworkers, to family, even to God. And then we kind of sit back and we see, okay, how's this going to play out? We just watch and see what's going to happen. See, our tendency is kind of like the disciples here. When they saw this need, they saw thousands of people. It said that there were 5,000 men besides women and children. So you add women and then children into that, there are probably, likely, more than 10,000 people in this crowd looking to see what Jesus is he's going to do. And so the disciples see this, and they said, this is going to be a problem if we let this go for too long. Send this away so that this problem can go be met somewhere else. Now, Jesus shocked them when he gave them the response that he did, and he said, yeah, there's a problem here, but you give them something to eat. I want you to do something about it. You see the need. I want you to step up and meet the need. Why are you going to see this and send it and make it somebody else's problem? You recognize this. You do something about it. And they were appalled at the thought saying, look, 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 to give somebody one, to give this whole crowd one bite of food each is going to cost half a year's wages. And then the, met, the need is not even going to be met. They're still left in want. They're still looking for more. It's not going to make a difference. So then Jesus moves in verse 38 he moves to ask them this question. Go and see how many loaves you can find. How many loaves do you have? Now, we don't know exactly how this played out. They may have kind of gone around and asked some of the people in the crowd, do you have anything on you? Do you have any any loaves? Uh, They may have gone to like search the boat. Maybe they brought a few loaves with them and so they're going into the boat to look to see what they had. But in John's story about this in the book of John, it says that the disciple Andrew found a young boy and brought the boy to Jesus and said, hey, this young boy has five loaves of bread and two fish. So Jesus took it and it says that he raised it to the heavens and he thanked God for it and broke it and began to pass it out and the whole crowd was fed to their full. Now the story teaches us that 
Jesus has the power over limitation. There is no limitation when it comes to Jesus. When we put our things, our resources, or our lack in God's hands and let him do something with it, we know that there is no limitation once we've given it to him and released it to him. He's not bound by by things that we're bound by. And just like the boy's bread, he has the power to do whatever he wants with what we give to him. But we have to give it to him. He won't force anything out of our hand. He didn't go and interrogate people and say, hey, what do you have? Give me what you got. He simply asked the disciples, what do you have? Show me what you have. I think we're in a season right now where the Lord is posing a similar question to us, saying, what do you have? How many loaves do you have to offer? There's a need. I want to meet that need. But give me what you have so I have something to bless. I have something to work with. I know you see the need because I brought it to your attention. Now, what are you going to do to contribute to that need? He can only work with what we give him. I think there's a few reasons why we would tend to be hesitant and more reserved with what we offer to him and what we would contribute. One of the reasons I think for that is that we don't think that what we have can make a difference. It's not significant enough. It's not enough to meet the need anyway. Andrew said when he brought the boy to Jesus, what he said to Jesus was this, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? He disqualifies what he has to contribute before he even offers it. And we as people, we do the same things with with ourselves. We disqualify ourselves. We disqualify our contribution. We disqualify the difference that it can make before we even put it in God's hands. And I think that's the problem because we're looking at what we have in our own hands. Things don't multiply in our own hands. No, it multiplies once we put it into Jesus' care and put it in his hands and trust him with it. Now it can grow. Now he can bless it. 1 Peter chapter 4 says that God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. What you have may not seem good enough to you, may not seem worthy. I think many of us don't even recognize our gifts. We don't understand. We don't see what we have. We don't acknowledge those things. Other people can see it in you, but it's harder for you to see it in yourself. One way to find them is to look at the things that are important to your heart. What are the things that burden you? That's a good place to start when we're looking for our gifts because giftings are designed to serve in the area that concerns you. The things that burden you, God has equipped you to serve in those places and to minister to those needs. It's a good place to start. Another reason that we're hesitant, though, to contribute when we recognize needs is that it's not only about availability, it's not just about what we have, it's about the willingness to take it from my possession. I have to steward this thing, I have to care for this thing and make sure it doesn't get ruined. 
And then instead of being willing to say, okay, the best place to make sure this thing is cared for is not in my own hands, but holding it with open hands and offering it to Jesus. What do you have? Here's what I have, Lord. Do what you can with it. Because we are limited and he, he's limitless. Think about it this way. This is what kind of baffles my mind. Do you really think that in a crowd of more than 10,000 people, a little boy that they found was the only one that had a snack with him? They wandered out into a remote place. They knew where they were going because they were there before Jesus got there. Do you really think that in that whole thousands and thousands of people, this little boy was the only one with any food? Jesus said, what do you have? How much do you have? And they bring a boy. And this is all it have. It's interesting that after they searched to see what they could find, the only person found to have anything was this, this young boy. Someone who was probably sent out by his parents for the day and all his concerns, all he cared about was what friends and buddies he was going to see and what games they were going to play together. No other concerns. And he wasn't worried about providing for food for his family that was traveling with him. He wasn't worried about feeding his children of the food that he had. But Jesus took the little bit that was offered to him. He didn't go interrogate and say, I know that there's more out there. I know that some of you guys have some figs in your pocket. Cough them up. (laughs) Offer it out. He just said, what do you got? Because whatever you offer me, I'm going to bless it. I'm going to use it. But you decide. I've given it to you. I've entrusted it to you. You do what you want with it. But what I'm asking you is this. You see a need. What do you have to contribute to the need? You decide what you would want to contribute. He knows what we have, but he's not going to take it from us. He's just going to say, trust it into my hands if you're willing. But are we willing? It's not just about availability. It's about willingness and and offering it to him willingly. There's countless practical reasons why we can't give to him what we have. Not only do we disqualify it, not only do we say, well, what I have isn't enough to really make a difference anyway, so I'm just going to hang on to it. But giving away what we have wouldn't be, well, it wouldn't be responsible. It will leave me and those I am responsible for with nothing. I have to take this. I have to keep this for myself. But this is where, when we look closer at this story, things begin to open up. Opportunities begin to open up because we do have limitations. We do have things that God has entrusted to us to steward and to care for appropriately. And we can't be careless with these things. We do have to be responsible. But look at what happens the way when we take these things and we release it freely into God's care. See, when the boy gave the little bit that he had, the loaves and the fish He had only enough to feed himself. But once he gave it to Jesus, he himself ate. Everyone in the crowd ate. And then Jesus said, don't waste any of it. Go and collect it and put it in baskets. And what was returned to him, what was left over, was more than he even began with. When we take the little that we have, you can take the, think about it like this. What God has given you is like seeds. 
that are meant to be scattered and planted freely. And if we say these, we look at these seeds and we say, this is potential. I've got I to make sure I protect these things. But they're seeds. It's not going to grow any fruit. It's not gonna, nothing's going to come of it unless they're scattered. But once they're scattered, once we offer it out, now God can bless it. He gives you the seed, but now you have to choose to plant the seed, to put those seeds where you see a lack, where you see a need, and contribute to it. And what we find is this. At the end of the day, not only do we have enough for ourselves and our own homes and our own families, our own needs, but now he's able to bless it and provide for people even around us. And we're left off. We're left with more than we ever had in the first place. You have to wonder if the crowd knew what Jesus was going to do with the food that was given to him, if more contributions would have showed up that day other than just the boy. If they realized what was going to happen, they would have wanted to be part of that miracle. Hey, take this fig. Hey, take this apple. What's he going to do with that? If only we knew what God intends to do with our contributions, it would be so much easier to offer, wouldn't it? If we just know. But a lot of times, we're not comfortable contributing unless we either know that we're going to receive something in return and we have faith that that's going to happen or until we see something worth giving to, unless we recognize value and say, okay, that's a worthy cause. I'm going I'm to give to that. But unfortunately, when we wait to contribute, when we wait to give where there is a need until we count it a, a worthy need, the potential that is waiting to be realized can never develop until something is contributed to it. Potential is only realized when it is nurtured. We draw out the potential in the people around us by investing in them from what we have been given, giving it freely. And so in this story, we see that one contribution given to Jesus impacts a whole community. Those who gave nothing, but they had a need, their need was met. Jesus had compassion on them, it says. And so they all ate, they all had a meal. But the one who had little and gave it freely found that his little was turned into abundance. See, I think the person who was blessed more than any other that day was that boy who offered to Jesus his five loaves and fish. And just as a quick side note, I think this is worth mentioning. Jesus didn't need anything to perform this miracle. He didn't need the five loaves and the fish. Uh, what, What Satan said when he was tempting them in the desert was true. You can turn these stones to bread if you wanted to. Sure you could. He doesn't need what we have. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. He loves us. He wants to work with what we have already been given. He's given us of his riches so that we can use them in this world to be a blessing to those around us. And when we take what we have and contribute it to his purposes, we find that instead of going without, our own blessings increase. We are more greatly blessed because we're a blessing to others. What do you have? How will you use what he's given to you? God desires a response from us for this question. How will you use what he has given to you? And he's interested to see what we're going to use, what we're going to do to impact the world. 
He's given every single one of us gifts and blessings from his abundance. What are we going to do? I, oh, I love this story in creation where it talks about how God created Adam and then he gave him the job to name all the animals. And in Genesis 2, it says that he gave him the job to name all the animals and then it says that God brought the animals to him to see what is he going to name them. God was interested to see how is Adam going to exercise his authority and power to name these animals. God told him, you have charge over this. Like, use your creative abilities and you name them. And then he watched to see what is he going to name them. He's interested to see what we're going to do. And it's not a matter of like, he's watching to see, are you going to do the right thing or are you going to do the wrong thing? No, no, it's more of like, how is he going to do this? How is he going to go about this? How is his personality and his giftings and his skills going to all mix to, to impact and bless the world? He's not looking over like, like a condemning look at what are we going to do with it. He wants to creatively see, how is he going to invest in the needs that I put all around him? Recently, I came across this story about a young man. It was a guy named uh, Andy. And so Andy got inspired one day, and he said, ah, oh, man, I want, I want to make myself a chicken sandwich. But he thought about it a little bit more. He said, no, no, I want to make myself a chicken sandwich from scratch, from nothing. And when he said he wanted to make it from scratch, he didn't mean he wanted to go to the market and buy some bread and some chicken and vegetables. He wanted to make it from nothing. And so he drew up a whole plan, and what he ended up doing was planted himself a garden with tomatoes and lettuce and onions and cucumbers. He collected ocean water and then boiled out the salt so he would have salt for his sandwich. He milked a cow and made cheese and churned it like by hand to make himself cheese for this sandwich. He harvested wheat from a field. He went and collected honey so he could make this bread. And he uh, went and killed a chicken and cleaned it. He jarred the cucumbers and turned them into pickles for his chicken sandwich. And he baked the bread by himself. Now, this whole process took him six months to complete and cost him over $1,500 to make this homemade chicken sandwich from scratch. I want to show you the reaction of when he prepared it finally, the day he prepared it, and then took his first bite out of that homemade sandwich. It's not bad. <laughs> no, it's not bad. Six months of my life were not bad. Yeah. <laughs> Six months of his life and over $1,500 spent, and his sandwich was mediocre at best. <laughs> So, so he gave himself this goal. He said, I want to do this. And he was able to do it. It took him, to, but he had to do it alone, right? And it took him six months. It cost him over a grand for a sandwich. He, I couldn't afford that. I can't afford a homemade a sandwich. And then the result, eh, it's okay. <laughs> All because he wanted to do it alone, right? Well, this is what it looks like when we use what we have in our own power and in solitude, that's what it looks like. See, we can do some pretty amazing things with what God has given to us, 
but we are extremely limited. And that's just the fact at the end of the day, we have limitations. Romans 12 says that in Christ, though we are many, we form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Now, because of collaboration and cooperation in the society that we live in now, if I'm hungry and I want a chicken sandwich, I can walk to Subway. I can pay $5 and in less than five minutes have a delicious sandwich and enjoy it. But if I'm going to go back and have this mentality of like, oh, I want to do this all myself and I'm going to use what I have It's going to take you forever, it's going to be expensive, and the result is going to be really, really mediocre. Jesus is saying, what do you have? I want to do something with it. I want to bless it. What do you have? Just just give me anything. Just give me what you got. Just reach in your pocket. Give me some lint, for goodness sake. Give me something to work with. He wants to work with what you offer him. Just test it. Just test it. Take something that you have and give it into his hands and watch what happens and how it transforms when you put it in his hands and you've taken it out of your own. Give him something to work with. As believers, I think we're often living with Andy's mentality of wanting to be a one-man show, holding on to what we have and and managing, being responsible with what we have. We're not going to throw it and throw it to the wind and be careless with it. Instead of the mentality that says, every member belongs to one another. And so we take what we have and we contribute it to the whole. And that's how we draw out the potential from within. That's how we add value. Too many times in the body of Christ, we don't give, we don't give of ourselves or even invite others, allow others to give from what they have been given into our lives. It's not right. God has made us one people under one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we need to live as one people. 1 Corinthians 6 says, You are not your own. You were bought at a price. We belong to him. And through Christ, we belong to one another. We're not meant to excel at everything on our own or get by on our own. We're made to operate in community. And by taking each of us of our resources and putting it in whole, now we don't have to settle for mediocrity anymore. Now things can happen faster, cheaper, and better quality because we all give to the whole. We all contribute to one another. And so as a church, this is our aim. This is what we're shooting for, to contribute to the whole and give it into God's hands and let him multiply it. Let him create what he wants to create. He already has in mind. He knows what he intends to do. He's just asking us, what do you have? What do you have to contribute to this? Because as we give freely and we come together, we can discover the potential, the untapped potential, the things that happen when we give it into God's hands and get involved in one another's lives. Over the next number of months, um, as a church, we're going to be endeavoring into some new initiatives that are just like little baby steps 
in this direction of coming together and being together and seeing what God can do when we do that. And so Adam is going to come forward and give us um, a little bit more detail on what that is going to look like in the coming weeks. Oh, there's a mic there. Yeah. Hello? Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, so Pastor Ed just asked me to give a little plug on uh, home groups, which we will be launching within the next month. Um, you know, home groups have been something that we've been praying about for, I mean, since you've been here, really. Uh, but, you know, over the past six, seven months, we've really been praying because, you know, it's, it's a little different in New England. If you're not from here and then you come here, you're like, oh, things are things are different here. Uh, we're, we are extra special in Rhode Island. Um, you know, when you look at even the way, you know, our country began in the colonies, Rhode Island was just kind of a giant, you know, one finger salute to everyone else, it seemed like. Yep. I don't know if I could say that from the, I just did. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I, I stepped, stepped back from that statement to say, you know, things are, things can be difficult here. You know, I can't walk back from that. No. That's, that's just the culture that we live in, the climate, the spiritual climate. You know, you look at some research statistics, and this area of the country is considered an unreached population. I mean, people are sending missionaries yeah. to Rhode Island yeah. to minister to us. So, you know, something as simple as home groups, you know, which would very easy in other areas of the country, is really, really hard here. You know, it's, it's simple for us to just say, all right, we're going to have a program, we're going to set up a couple of leaders, and you're going to meet at a house. But it doesn't necessarily work there. People aren't really connected. One of the ways that I always look at Rhode Island, I always say this, is, you know, I moved here about 15 years ago, and Rhode Islanders and New Englanders were very family-oriented. You know, you go down south, you can wave to people on the street, and they wave back. Here, if you're not related to the person you're waving to, they won't wave at you, you know? <laughs> But if you are related to you, hey, we'll die for you. We'll do a lot, you know. And so this is a very family-oriented area. But if you're not in the family, you know, we could care less. Um, so we are family here, thankfully. And so we all love each other. Um, so what we're going to be doing, that's a little different. Um, Feb March 2nd. March 2nd, right? First. March 1st. March 1st. The first Sunday of March, what we'll be doing, well, obviously... <laughs> We're going to cancel Sunday service. So, Well, it's here, here, here. We're moving Sunday service. Well, we're canceling it. We're moving it. We're doing both. Um, and what we're planning on doing is meeting in homes for that first Sunday. Uh, so there is a sign-up list outside. And this is, that's not new. People have done that. Uh, so we're not being, like, super creative. Uh, but it is something that we want to try here. So we have sign-up sheets outside, and we're hoping for 100% attendance. It's not a skip-out-of-church card, free card. You know, hey, no Sunday. Thankfully, it's still winter. Hopefully, it's not snowing, so you can drive somewhere. Yeah, it's just a one-Sunday thing. So it's an opportunity for us to practice home groups by meeting in people's homes. So we do have the sign-up sheets listed by towns, uh, Newport, Middletown, Portsmouth, and Bristol. And we ask for everyone to sign, preferably between this week and next week, because the following week we'll look to finalize some of those names, and then we'll be sending you the address of your home group. 
okay? Mm -hmm. uh, so that information, you can't pick, oh, I want to be at so-and-so's group. We're just asking people to sign up in the town that you would like to attend a home group, and then we will contact you at what location your home group will be meeting. And it'll be the same time we have service, so it'll be 10.30 on Sunday. Um, and then from there, that will be kind of the launch. Yeah. And we have some about five groups that are established. So we'll kind of backtrack on our process there, just so you understand. Um, you know, because we, we want to do things a little different for the past the three, four months to the end of 2019, yeah. uh, the five group leaders have met together and actually had small group together. You know, and so we wanted to practice community before we go ahead and actually try to practice community with others. We've been in community together uh, to make sure that, hey, if we're going to be serious about small groups, it's, you know, we don't want to insta small group. We want to kind of, you know, take six months to make a sandwich. That's kind of, and it'll probably be <laughs> mediocre. Let's be honest. I'm just kidding. You're killing me, Adam. Come uh, on. Man. It's the most depressing announcement I ever. Think, I think this, okay, that, uh, thanks for sharing. That's. Get, go to your seat. <laughs> you were doing so good. <laughs> huh? You got figs in the pocket, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, if you have any questions, feel free to ask me or, or Pastor Ed. Um, you know, we are, I am helping with some of the facilitation of that stuff. So, uh, Yes. Oh, so, so we will have kids. You know, what we'll do is we'll have some packets for uh, kids. It'll be very family-oriented in the home church, in the home groups. So mm -hmm. kids are invited. There are some groups that will probably be a little more kid-friendly. So we do ask on the sign-up sheets if you have list the number of adults and kids. Uh, so we'll, we'll try to limit the amount of, you know, kids to location somewhere that's comfortable for them. Uh, but it'll be you know, pretty straightforward. We'll have communion like we would at any Sunday service. So there'll be communion there, some activity for the kids, and uh, fellowship. So. Yeah. And coffee. Of yeah. course. <laughs> so, did, did you want to say Yeah, I guess I'll, just, I'll wrap up, yeah. Thanks for sharing that, Adam. Yeah, so this is really intended to just kind of get us over that initial, like, awkward threshold or just being in a strange house with people that we aren't terribly familiar with. Um, so to make it a little easier, hey, we're all in this together. We're going to do this together. We'll, we'll see it as an adventure, that first Sunday of March, um, attending church in all these different locations and doing it together. And then we'll, we'll come back the following week and kind of celebrate and talk about what that looked like and felt like and, and go from there. So I encourage you um, to sign up on the sign-up sheets that are between the, the doors of the bathroom. They're on that wall over there. Um, so before you head out today, um, if you could uh, throw your name on the list there, we'd love to have you part of it, all right? So on that note, let's pray, and we're going to wrap up for the morning. God, you're so good. I thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that even though you've given us freely from your abundance, you don't require it from us, you don't uh, mandate these things from us, but you simply gently ask, if we would like to participate in your blessing, participate in your work. I thank you for your gentleness, your, your approach like that, Lord, for your warmth. And Father, we want to participate. We want to give you the things that you've trusted to us so you can do wonderful, thi wonderful things with them and, and bless it and multiply it and grow it. I pray, God, that as we trust you 
with our gifts, God, that you would be honored with those things, that as you bless it and multiply it, really it would, would not be for our own personal gain, not for selfish reasons, but I pray that you would use these things to glorify the name of Jesus Christ so that you would become more well and more widely known in our midst, in our communities, Lord, and all over the place. Be glorified that the lost would come to know who you are, Jesus Christ, and place their faith in you. Take us to deeper and deeper levels with you, Lord. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be well and blessed, family. We love you guys. Have a great week.